AT&T Threat Track is a roundtable discussion of security trends and news. Full video of this program can be found on YouTube by searching for AT&T Threat Track. All right, guys, let's take a look at this week's internet weather. This is the top 10 most probed ports, so that is volume of probing. So uh, the list has sort of shifted up and down a little bit, but not a lot of them have been rearranged, so we'll run through them. So in first place, we have uh, port 23 TCP, that's Telnet, followed by 80 ICMP, that is Ping. Uh, in third place, 1433 TCP is up one slot, and that is MS SQL. Fourth place, 445 TCP is SMB. In fifth place, with a jump of six, is uh, 81 TCP, which is a web server, which I'll go into in a second. Uh, sixth place, 443 TCP is SSL. Seventh place is 80 TCP, regular old web. Uh, 3389 is an eighth, that's remote desktop protocol. Ninth is 22 TCP or SSH. And in 10th place, 5555 TCP or Android Debug Bridge. Taking a look at the most sources probing, this is the number of individual endpoints probing and not the volume of scanning. A lot of these are ports we've already seen, so I won't go through all of them, but 8080 TCP is in fifth place, and that is just a general web port. Sometimes you see it as uh, proxies, but it could be a number of different web-related ports, uh, web-related services. 53 UDP is in eighth place, that's up four. Uh, and then 81, I think we've talked about, is, uh, is up by three. So 81 TCP, what is that? So in general, it seems to be the go-ahead web server is the, the characteristic web server using this port. Uh, there is a really good blog from 360.com about an IoT botnet that scans specifically for vulnerabilities in this web server. You can see over time, uh, the number of scan flows has been very spiky over time, but we did peak out at 220, uh, 10 to the sixth scan flows per hour. So that's, uh, that's quite a bit of flows. Uh, 1433 was another mover and shaker this week. You can see this is the number of scan sources per hour. Uh, and you can see this also follows kind of a, what it looks like, um, I would say probably a daily pattern of ups and downs. Uh, but you can see we also peaked out here around a 20, 10 to the third. So um, yeah, I'm not really sure exactly what's going on there, but it looks like also the data is trailing off at the very end there. So it may have just been um, a brief spike and uh, not a consistent one. This one I thought was interesting, uh, 9673 TCP, it tripped in our alerting. What we've got here is a port and I couldn't find very much about it, but I did find it in the documentation for the Hikvision and PR video access gateway. Hikvision is a known manufacturer of webcams. And as we know, these are often IoT devices. I would not be surprised if another vulnerability has surfaced, but I was not able to find documentation of one that is in the wild uh, or, or a CV number or anything like that that would prove my theory. Um, the sources for this are across the globe. The uptick is significant. You can see little spikes that look like testing on the 13th and on the uh, between the 17th and 18th. And then all of a sudden it comes up out of nowhere. So to me, this sounds like there's a botnet that's already in the business of scanning and exploiting, and they've just switched to a different port. Maybe they've got a brand new vulnerability. Uh, I don't have any, like I said, any uh, you know, honeypot data or anything to, to prove this out, but it certainly looks like somebody knows what they're looking for here. Yeah, that looks yeah. like one we should definitely get the honeypot listening and see if we can see what's going on there because that looks pretty suspicious. Uh, I'm sure somebody out there probably knows exactly what this is, but I think, like you said, Matt, uh, this is probably something that's unknown right now. 
um, and it's clear um, with that pattern that somebody was testing it and then and then launched it and it looks like we're probably seeing the trailing off of all of the different boxes you know reporting back in so um, it'll be interesting to see what this looks like over time if you you know if you see another spike and the last one I wanted to mention today is port one one two one one that also made it to one of our it didn't make it to the top 10, but it made it to the top 20. This is the scan flows on that port. You can see it's very, very spiky. So it looks like a couple different populations of, of consistent scanning there. Um, this port is not exactly used for DDoS, uh, but it's UDP equivalent is. So this might be one way that people are scanning to find exposed memcached instances on the internet, and then they would switch over to the UDP port uh, and use that for reflective DDoS. That's just a theory. Uh, I don't know of anything more about memcache that would suggest why it is a target, uh, but that is one idea. And yeah, that's that's one that really should not be exposed to the internet. Um, you know, it, it it's for local caching. Uh, if it's, yeah, not sure what that one would be all about. Did have one comment on the um, the second graph the most mm -hmm. most sources probing yeah i i thought it was interesting that the items two three and four from last week dropped off of here but looking back at the at last week's this is actually a return to normal those were 8291 tcp was number two and that had jumped up 105 places in the second then uh, 22 TCP, so SSH, which had jumped from 18th to third. So we've seen that one before. That one's not that unusual, but last week's fourth place was 8278, which was a jump of 207 places. So uh, two of those were ones that are really unusual that had just popped up for whatever reason. And 22, uh, that kind of just normally sits just outside. So, yeah, that, but that did get my attention when you first flashed this up here. So I had to go quick look at last week's chart to, to see what the deal was. So. Well, thank you for doing that. Good catch. So, hey, Jim, uh, you are bringing a story to us today about some malware tools I think that you've found ever since we started into this uh, into this pandemic I think you've uh, got a story that's looking at some of the new new malware tools that may be out there malware analysis is kind of my one of the things that I'm really interested in and I've noticed since we've been in this lockdown for the last six weeks or so, that uh, I've seen a number of announcements, and maybe some of this was already going on before then, but I've seen a number of announcements of some new tools or some updates to tools um, that I thought were kind of interesting. And so I figured I'd share them for those of you who are also suffering from you know, lockdown fatigue and wanting to look at new things to play with. You know, for years I've used Ida Pro as my uh, disassembler of choice when I, you know, when I'm analyzing malware and 
and I've used the hex rays decompiler really like that one and a little over a year ago that you know the NSA released Ghidra and I talked about that on the show actually there's a github project that um, out of the Cisco Talos team that allows you to take the Ghidra decompiler and use that in IDA if you haven't paid for the Hexrays decompiler, which I thought was kind of cool, you, you know, combining the, the two tools. Uh, and then a couple of days later, I noticed that um, there's going to be a new version of IDA. IDA Home is going to be coming out in the next few weeks or month. Because that's one of the things that I've been wondering is if the Hexrays folks were going to, because of Ghidra and all of the attention that that was getting and being a free tool, if they were going to come out with something less expensive. Because as much as I love Ida, if you're you know if you don't have a company budget for it, if you're trying to do this out of your own pocket, it's expensive. Um, so there is going to be a new version of Ida called Ida Home coming out. Now Ida has had also had the, a free version. The free version had some limitations. I believe that Ida Home is going to have fewer of those limitations. It's going to be, I think it was like 350 bucks uh, as opposed to the, you know, couple thousand that you can run for the the full pro version so that that was another interesting uh, development that I saw then one of the other tools I've not played with it too much but uh, some of the malware ana analysts that I'm friends with really love binary ninja I don't know Matt have you ever used binary ninja I'm aware of it, and I think I've played with it for a few minutes, but I wouldn't say I've used it for anything. Yeah. So um, Binary Ninja, in their latest release, they now have a decompiler as well. For those of you who aren't familiar, a disassembler is a tool that takes the binary executable and turns it back into assembly language, which makes it somewhat possible for malware analysts to read. It's not the easiest thing in in the world to read, but uh, easier than trying to recognize the hex of the of the binary. Well, a decompiler takes that one step further and tries to turn the disassembled assembly language into a pseudo C, you know, a, a higher level language, which when it works is great and is much easier to understand quickly. Um, as I point out though, when I, when I teach reversing, uh, there is context lost when you're doing compilation, when you're taking the high level code and compiling it into a binary and doing optimizations on it, you lose some context and code can get rearranged so trying to decompile, trying to turn it back into high-level language 
is a really hard problem. And sometimes the decompiler can do a pretty good job on some code, but sometimes it really can't. And the, the high level language code looks a lot like the assembly code. It's, uh, you know, just really convoluted, but when it works, it's really nice. So decompilers are really nice and the hex rays one is probably still the best. It's also the most expensive. Then Ghidra came along with the free one available to the world. Now Binary Ninja's got one. So this, this is a really interesting time to be a malware analyst because we've got a lot of good tools. And, and the last thing that I wanted to mention um, and Matt, I, you're probably familiar with the Ida Pro book, right? The, uh, yes, it is uh, taking up what, space on my shelf. Um, it, I, I know where it, you're going. Chris Eagle has the, the Ghidra book coming out. Right? Yes, he's got the, the guy who did the Ida Pro book, which is probably the Bible for you know, using Ida Pro. So yeah, so he's coming out with a Ghidra book and the, the early access copy I think is available through no starch now the electron partial electronic copy and the the hard copy book I think it's due out in May um, so it's coming soon anyway I, don't hold me to the date but you know if you if you're familiar with the Ida Pro book you know that was the book to have well same guy is writing the book on Ghidra so I imagine that it is going to be it's going to be the book to have as a reference for using Ghidra. So. I've got my early access copy sitting on my computer right now. Just got to find some time to sit down and crack the cover on it. So Jim, you're, you're obviously going to have a, the, the good thing about uh, finding all these tools is that you're going to have uh, a ton of different, you know, malware out there to test these tools on, right? That's you, you always have an endless, endless supply of malware out there. So, You'll have fun, you know, you know, testing these new tools out. Yeah, there's always more malware out there. So that'll keep me busy until I'm ready to retire. Yeah. So Manny, it looks like you've got sort of a different story today about large corporations, uh, algorithms and COVID-19. Yeah, so you are you are absolutely correct, Matt. So this story, although from the surface does look like it's a little out of sorts um, and something that we normally wouldn't talk about, uh, what sort of caught my eye on this story was sort of it talking about algorithms. So I, I read through the story, and the story really talks about algorithms in the sense of how companies are using them, very specific to sort of um, suppliers. Um, and and how suppliers are using these algorithms to predict, you know, the things that they need to order, right? So in general, algorithms, I guess I should explain, you know, algorithms for folks that don't know are, you know, basically um, logic that tries to predict some sort of future state, right? Um, and then helps you make decisions based on those predictions, right? So uh, a lot of companies out there uh, suppliers are using these things, you know, big, huge distribution companies, right? Uh, big uh, 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 shops are using these algorithms to decide on how to do things like 
ordering stuff, checking to in inventory levels, uh, purchasing trends, um, you know, even things like uh, how to uh, do discounts, right? So when when should I offer a discount to lower my the supply of something, or even when to order some new supplies, right? So algorithms are constantly in the background, sort of running the the operations for a lot of these big huge companies, uh, specifically for this particular article, uh, like supply chains. But the reason why I picked this was algorithms obviously are not are, are used in a lot of different places so in the security world algorithms are also used right so in in our line of work we're using algorithms all the time to do these sort of same type of predictions and we're doing predictions for all sorts of different types of stuff right so when i saw this story that's kind of where i wanted to spin this and i was hoping that we could sort of talk on this a little bit in terms of algorithms and how they're used in cybersecurity. Um, and now, and really what, why I wanted to bring up algorithms specifically here is because with the disruption right now of COVID-19 and the pandemic, the algorithms that we have running today are, I don't wanna say struggling, but they are certainly now sort of trying to adjust for the different um, uh, ways in which we are working. So take, for example, uh, uh, our move for a lot of workforce in sort of our line of work to work from home. So working from home is now taking, taking a whole bunch of people who are normally connecting to corporate networks, you know, being directly connected to these corporate networks, networks to now uh, those folks uh, remoting into the network. So but the algorithms that we've written from a security perspective to watch the network, to look for anomalies on the network, have now had to shift over to looking at sort of what, is it, what does it now look like? Now we have connections to the networks where we didn't normally, or at least at the levels that we have today or had before, we're seeing completely different levels. That's really what I wanted to sort of talk about here um, not so much what this particular article, but sort of spin it on its head and talk about how, um, how this is actually affecting um, security-based, you know, algorithms. So things like user behavior, right? So user behavior is looking at things like how a particular person behaves on a network, right? So when we look at user behavior today, um, it's taking a whole bunch of different factors into play when it runs it through its algorithm, right? It's this magic black box that it, that it has that runs through and it looks at everybody's traffic or, or particular individual's traffic and tries to map that traffic out. And then over time, it takes that, that, that mapping and it keeps like putting that mapping against what the traffic looks like today and seeing if it, there's any kind of anomaly in that, right? And so as soon as it detects some sort of anomaly in that traffic for an individual, it'll flag something and say, hey, you know, Jim is, you know, is doing something that we haven't seen Jim do before, right? So those algorithms that we have today, now because of, of this massive change, right? And we're seeing massive changes in the way that uh, people are connecting to networks. So these algorithms have now had to shift. And what that means for us today is, is that, you know, we're now, what, like six weeks into this thing. Um, the algorithms have had to shift today to take into, that, into consideration these new changes. But in that shift, what I think we've been seeing is 
a ton of false positives that are coming out of these particular algorithms, right? So these algorithms are now sort of saying that there's a problem because I see some different trend that didn't exist last week, last month, certainly last year, right? And so now it's taking it into these into these engines that are trying to create the models for individuals, for 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 individuals, for assets on your network, right? Uh, for different uh, uh, volumetric trends across your network. So all these things now are sort of shifting, right? So you're now seeing a lot more remote access in, you're seeing more um, uh, different people that are, are connecting to the network from, for, from different methods, right? So folks who are connecting directly in through your, through your VPNs, people who are, who are uh, sort of connecting up through uh, 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 private VPNs, right? Uh, before they connect up to your network. So these are all different changes that our algorithms now have to take into consideration. And today, probably creating a whole bunch of false positives that you now have to go through as a security analyst and clear through to say, oh, no, no, that's normal now because we've now had this shift. That becomes the norm, which also means that as we hopefully come out of this thing, we're also going to see another shift back the other way, right? So as, as the workforce starts to go back into offices and this thing starts to shift, right? Those algorithms are going to have to now reshift to figure out what that pattern now looks like as it's changing back, right? So that's kind of what I wanted to, you know, bring up and talk about on this one and what really caught my eye on this one. Yeah, well, that's really interesting point because, you know, you can set alarms for, you know, people who only work in the office, you know, you set an alarm if they're working at nine o'clock at night or something. Well, you know, if that person is now working from home and they've got to homeschool the kids during the day, they may be working at nine o'clock at night on a regular basis because that's when they can get in and do, you know, get to their email and do all that kind of stuff. So yeah, that's, that's a really interesting point. And you already mentioned all kinds of people who never used to use the VPN before are now having to use VPN to get in because they're having to work from home. So yeah, that's... Or you, you come up against policy violations where people just haven't interacted with the remote systems before. Like they don't know what is and what isn't acceptable. Granted, maybe there was some training that they, they took and they forgot, but you know, you have people who are doing stuff it's like, oh my goodness, these, how could he possibly not know? Well. This is his first time using the VPN. You know, right. I, I don't really blame him. So, yeah, there, there's a lot of interesting little side things that are coming up for sure. Different things that uh, human beings are doing that we hadn't expected because we had all these assumptions around the way that they're supposed to work uh, in a pre-COVID environment. We thought we needed this much capacity, and now all of a sudden, because everybody is forced to to behave differently, you know, we need more capacity over here and maybe less over here for the time being at least yeah and and to go along with capacity software licensing like if you need if you're paying for seat licenses for a remote access solution or a, a two-factor yeah. authentication solution well you you have to quickly get a hold of licenses so yeah yeah great point great point yeah that's that's another one of those things that's just a, a side effect of all this stuff right you certainly wouldn't have thought about that you you know you sort of think about the the typical scenarios that you have it's like okay yeah i i know i'm going to have this whole amount of workforce that moves uh moves remotely so i'm going to have to 
you know, I'm going to have to figure out, do I, again, like Jim said, do I have the capacity, right, on the, on the network? Do I have capacity on those edge devices to get those people in and connect it up to the network? But, you know, take it one step further and you just have to start talking about, like, licensing. Like, so folks could be starting to wheel this thing up and then all of a sudden at the last minute go, oh, man, like, why is, you know, why did a whole thousands of people can't connect? Oh, well, because your, your license is, you know, wasn't good for, you know, for that amount of people connecting up. So, yeah, that's a great point. Yeah, this would have been a great conversation to have at the start of the pandemic. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Well, as I, as I said, I think this will be a conversation that I think will be relevant. You know, it's a little late to, for, for the beginning of it, but I think it's going to be relevant again when things go back to normal. It's also going to be one of those things that shift back, right? And so if you've shifted things over to, to account for the, you know, pandemic, you know, uh, conditions, you're going to have to also put some, something into play to ensure that when things go back to normal, you're also, you know, putting other things back to normal as well, right? So, um, and again, you know, again, some of some of those algorithms are going to potentially have trouble adjusting to that. But you know, again, I think there's some things that you know could be done to to help with that adjustment. Now that we've seen what has happened with those things and what we need to adjust now that we're in the middle of it, perhaps it's a little bit easier to adjust once it goes back to normal. But I think it's, it's all things that have to, will have to be taken into consideration. This is exactly what, you know, the whole field of disaster recovery and business continuity are all about is how to accommodate these things and keep the business running. And so we need to definitely be learning the lessons from this one. All right, guys, let's take a look at this week's internet weather. This is the top 10 most probed ports. So that is volume of probing. So, uh, the list has sort of shifted up and down a little bit, but not a lot of them have been rearranged, so we'll run through them. So in first place, we have uh, port 23 TCP, that's Telnet, followed by 80ICMP, that is Ping. Uh, in third place, 1433 TCP is up one slot, and that is MS SQL. Fourth place, 445 TCP is SMB. In fifth place, with a jump of six, is uh, 81TCP, which is a web server, which I'll go into in a second. Uh, sixth place, 443 TCP is SSL. Seventh place is 80 TCP, regular old web. Uh, 3389 is an eighth, that's remote desktop protocol. Ninth is 22 TCP or SSH. And in 10th place, 5555 TCP or Android debug bridge. Taking a look at the most sources probing, this is the number of individual endpoints probing and not the volume of scanning. A lot of these are ports we've already seen, so I won't go through all of them, but 8080 TCP is in fifth place. And that is just a general web port. Sometimes you see it as uh, proxies, but it could be a number of different web-related ports, uh, web-related services. 53 UDP is in eighth place. That's up four. Uh, and then 81, I think we've talked about, is, uh, is up by three. So 81 TCP, what is that? So in general, it seems to be the go-ahead web server is the, the characteristic web server using this port. Uh, there is a really good blog from 360.com about an IoT botnet that scans specifically for vulnerabilities in this web server. You can see over time, uh, the number of scan flows has been very spiky over time, but we did peak out at 220, uh, 10 to the 6th scan flows per hour. So that's, uh, that's quite a bit of flows. Uh, 1433 was another mover and shaker this week. You can see this is the number of scan sources per hour. 
Uh, and you can see this also follows kind of a, what it looks like, um, I would say probably a daily pattern of ups and downs. Uh, but you can see we also peaked out here around a 20, 10 to the third. So um, yeah, and not really sure exactly what's going on there, but it looks like also the data is trailing off at the very end there. So it may have just been um, a brief spike and uh, not a consistent one. This one I thought was interesting, uh, 9673 TCP, it tripped in our alerting. What we've got here is a port and I couldn't find very much about it, but I did find it in the documentation for the Hikvision and PR video access gateway. Hikvision is a known manufacturer of webcams. And as we know, these are often IoT devices. I would not be surprised if another vulnerability has surfaced, but I was not able to find documentation of one that is in the wild uh, or, or a CV number or anything like that that would prove my theory. Um, the sources for this are across the globe. The uptick is significant. You can see little spikes that look like testing on the 13th and on the uh, between the 17th and 18th. And then all of a sudden it comes up out of nowhere. So to me, this sounds like there's a botnet that's already in the business of scanning and exploiting, and they've just switched to a different port. Maybe they've got a brand new vulnerability. Uh, I don't have any, like I said, any uh, you know, honeypot data or anything to to prove this out. But it certainly looks like somebody knows what they're looking for here. Yeah, that looks yeah. like one we should definitely get the honeypot listening and see if we can see what's going on there because that looks pretty suspicious. Uh, I'm sure somebody out there probably knows exactly what this is, but I think, like you said, Matt, uh, if this is probably something that's unknown right now. Um, and it's clear um, with that pattern that somebody was testing it and then, and then launched it. And it looks like we're probably seeing the trailing off of all of the different boxes, you know, reporting back in. So uh, it'll be interesting to see what this looks like over time if you, you know, if you see another spike. And the last one I wanted to mention today is port 11211 that also made it to one of our, it didn't make it to the top 10, but it made it to the top 20. This is the scan flows on that port. You can see it's very, very spiky. So it looks like a couple different populations of, of consistent scanning there. Um, this port is not exactly used for DDoS. Uh, but it's UDP equivalent is. So this might be one way that people are scanning to find exposed memcached instances on the internet, and then they would switch over to the UDP port uh, and use that for reflective DDoS. That's just a theory. Uh, I don't know of anything more about memcached that would suggest why it is a target, uh, but that is one idea. And yeah, that's that's one that really should not be exposed to the internet. Um... You know, it, it it's for local caching. Uh, if it's, yeah, not sure what that one would be all about. Did have one comment on the mm -hmm. most sources probing. Yeah, I I thought it was interesting that the items two, three, and four from last week dropped off of here, but looking back at the at last week's. This is actually a return to normal. Those were 8291 TCP was number two, and that had jumped up 105 places in the second. Then uh, 22 TCP, so SSH, which had jumped from 18th to third. So we've seen that one before. That one's not that unusual, but last week's fourth place was 8278, which was a jump of 207 places. So uh, 
two of those were ones that are really unusual that had just popped up for whatever reason. And 22, uh, that kind of just normally sits just outside. So, yeah, that, but that did get my attention when you first flashed this up here. So I had to go quick look at last week's chart to, to see what the deal was. Well, thank you for doing that. Good catch. The views expressed on AT&T ThreatTrack are those of the participants and do not necessarily represent the views of AT&T or any other person or entity.